Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. It is 8.55 p.m. on the West Coast. <laughs> it is 11.55 p.m. on the Eastern Time Zone, which is, of course, not the, the East Coast. Hey, Atlantic Canada. <laughs> <laughs> and Maxime Bernier has lost his seat. <laughs> uh, and that's all we have for you, everybody. That's it. The end. The fascists Goodbye. have lost. Yep. Good night. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> no, we got a little bit more than that, don't we? Yes. Oh, my God. We so do. So tonight we are going to take you into the analysis that you will not get anywhere else. And you will wake up to this news tomorrow morning because we are so efficient that we're going to get this into your ears by eh, probably like 2 o'clock, 11 o'clock, depending where you're listening to us. And we're going to tell you what you need to know about this new minority government okay so we have been talking about a minority government for how long now Nora? how long have we been saying that this should end up as a minority should and would Ooh. How long? How um long? Oh, um a while i think it's been a while it, i think the technical term has been a minute it has been a minute <laughs> since we have been saying that this is the way it should and would go and uh, I feel good about our clairvoyance skills, but but more than that, um, about the way that, okay, I'm not going to say I feel good 100%, but I do feel encouraged by um, the people who have rejected the idea of strategic vo- voting. That being said, not everybody rejected it, um, but a minority government, I think, after this election, after the last four years that we've had is going to be a good thing, a good thing for Canada. Yes, minority government. So those that is music to my ears. Okay. I love it. I love the message that it sends to the liberals, which is that Canadians are not happy with their performance, and it takes away ultimate power from them. And so that is going to be what defines the next... We don't know how many years because it's a minority government. Yes. And so even though the liberals did not make good on their promise uh, to get rid of the first past the post system and create an electoral system where they would be forced to work with other parties in order to put policy through any major party that would have won um, uh, under a proportional representation system uh, would have had to, to do some work to work with other parties in order to pass policy. So, And I, I hope that means that there will be at least some sort of discussion on changing our electoral system. Um, that is one of the things that the NDP has put out as uh, something that the, end, the Liberal government will have to uh, commit to in order to get their support in the House. Totally. Yeah. So, it, in you know, you're listening to this. It's the day after the election. We're, of course, recording it. Um, now it's midnight. <laughs> and just to kind of locate us in um, in where the numbers are, because the numbers are, you know, still could change. But, you know, so we're on the same page. So we have uh, 316 of 338 ridings have been called by the Canadian press. And um, that has placed the Liberals at 156 seats and they need 170 seats to have their majority so that is not going to happen all of the media uh, networks have called a minority government and 
when you have a minority government, you have to work with other parties to form government. And so it's actually really exciting how distributed the numbers are with the other parties. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about um, the individual parties, I think, in a bit. But um, with the NDP, the NDP's 24 seats, they could form a majority. The, the Greens have three. Um, that's not enough to form a majority, but they could potentially all work together. Uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould looks like she's going to get elected tonight. Um, that has not been called, but she's leading. And the Bloc has 32 seats. And so it looks actually like the story of tonight is that the Conservatives are going to be very officially marginalized in the legislature and so i think that's great honestly i think that's what a marvelous thing to happen and so first yeah. of all sheer is absolutely done absolutely oh he's so done. gone so gone yeah so goodbye yep. most i mean peter mckay is probably in his closet now <laughs> sizing up his clothes <laughs> yes he's like now which which suit am i gonna wear tomorrow in my official <laughs> uh coming out as the person who's gonna try to vie for the next leadership because i mean come on like snc lavalin blackface i mean they tried to pretend that they cared about racism even like this the, the conservatives were trying so hard you know massive um massive promises that were broken by the liberals endorsements across uh the media for the conservative party and you managed to fuck it up this hard goodbye sheer <laughs> well i have to i have to though unfortunately remind everybody that they have actually increased the number of seats that they had. Which is interesting because it comes at the expense of, I think, all of the parties, actually. Um, They've increased their number of seats from 95 to 121, except they've decreased the amount of power they have because that coalition is going to necessarily work in opposition to the Conservative Party. It's not likely that the Conservatives and the Liberals will work together on too, too much if the NDP remains strong and says, we will bring you down if you, for example, scrap the carbon tax or support another pipeline or whatever. Um, so I think, I, I am actually not ready to say that Shear's gone. I think that we will see. No, but really? definitely there are people tonight. Well, yeah, I mean, we don't disagree often, so let's put that down as a bet and okay. see who wins. all right that on that one okay <laughs> what's what next should we talk about i mean i don't want to devote any more time to maxime bernier but should we say anything about uh the dairy farmers the power of organizing <laughs> i don't know do you have anything to say yeah yeah so the thing that everybody outside of quebec needs to understand is that bernier had a very difficult fight from the beginning he was given his riding by his father his father was a longtime conservative mp and name recognition was a big deal and so um bernier when he ran for the leadership of the conservative party like he didn't even have the support of his own riding because he took the um the dairy industry supply management uh which is the management system of the of the dairy industry uh he made it enemy number one for his new party and also actually during his leadership race and so bernier lost not because there was like some great anti-racist push to make him lose and i think people need to remember this the the people's party or the pp party did fucking too well across the board in this country and the fact that they didn't win any seats is not necessarily 
proof that they completely failed because they were covered like a legitimate fucking party and in the end didn't even get their leader's seat, which was supposed to be safe, which, you know, again, if you're watching Quebec politics, you knew it was not safe. The other thing that, you know, we have to shout out, of course, is the rhinoceros party who ran someone named Maxime Bernier in that ride. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to the rhinoceros party. And they remind us that that civil disobedience and creative tactics are actually fucking great. And, you know, that that, that didn't make the difference between uh, Bernier winning or losing, but it fucking could have. And for sure, there's a lot of people that probably just voted the wrong Bernier. So that's awesome. Very awesome. OK, so what's next? Any other upsets we should talk about? Well, I think it's worth for sure talking about some of the people that we're super happy to see lose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we could talk about some of the people we're happy to see win, but I suspect that people will want to hear um, what does this all mean? So what what really does this mean for social movements? What do we learn from these results tonight? Where do we go from here? And how do we influence a, a completely new regime that, you know, there's a lot of Canadians that don't have memory of what it's like to live in a minority government. And fuck, the last minority government we had was the Harper government that just prorogued the shit out of it when they were like, oh, my God, the other parties are ganging up against us. Prorogue, prorogue. <laughs> Right, right. Okay, so one last, uh, one last, I guess, race uh, to just talk about uh, before we move on to that, or maybe two. Maybe we should talk about the Green Party's uh, uh, increase in seats. Yeah. Um, but I, I really want to talk about uh, Lisa Raitt. <laughs> Goodbye, Lisa Raitt. Goodbye. Yeah. Goodbye. I, I will not miss you. Um, <laughs> in Milton, uh, she has lost her seat, and that's a major upset for the Conservative Party. Um, of course, she is the deputy leader, so that is a big fucking deal that she lost her seat. Um, and I think that it would be great to see her go the way of Sheila Copps uh, and be the weird person tweeting on Twitter on behalf of the Conservative Party. I share 90% of that sentiment. I think that one thing we need to uh, be uh, be watching is what impact does it have for the Conservative Party to lose such a moderate conservative voice? Because she's one of the few people that would actually say that, you know, she's pro-choice, that the Conservatives will not open the, re- uh, the, the abortion debate, blah, blah, blah. And her exit from caucus, I think, um, is going to... And the combination with the party, the PP party uh, fucking disappearing, I actually think that this is going to be um, opening the door to a rise in really far right um, ideas being mainstreamed, more mainstreamed by the conservative party. So, oh, yeah, I think that the 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 right wing response to what has happened tonight, because at the end of the day, like so much of this vote has gone um, or so much of the power of the vote because the popular vote actually the conservatives have should have had the most seats um, uh, so far at this point in the night at uh, 9.08 on the west coast uh, mid- after midnight on the east coast um, uh, the, the, the right is going to be really really upset about this and I think that we can see in the next uh, f- couple years that this a uh, minority will likely last. It usually doesn't last for more than two years. And uh, I, you know, I imagine that that will not change. 
um, I think that we're going to see some really intense right wing organizing. And so there's going to be a lot uh, that people on the left are going to have to do to um, force the type of policies that we need to see come from um, a minority government uh, led by Justin Trudeau um, and uh, and to stave off uh, some of the the, the really um, uh, negative effects of uh, a sort of backlash from the right that that could be looming um, after two years, maybe three uh, of this government. Absolutely, especially if people learn the lo- the wrong lessons of Bernier's defeat and of the PP party's defeat. Like we have been fed from the mainstream press this this narrative that they're a legitimate party. And again, they're a, they're a social movement, like any social movement, and they're not going to go away from this. It's a huge blow for them to lose uh, Bernier's seat in the House of Commons. So it's really, really great that he lost. But they're going to mutate into something else. And and we cannot lose sight of that reality. And we have to organize and confront their racist logic, their talking points, and, and identify when we see those, those talking points and that racist logic appear in the mainstream. We got to talk about the NDP because I think that there's going to be a lot of folks tonight uh, feeling a bit disappointed that the excitement around the NDP did not translate into um, an orange wave. Right. And so what happened? Mm. Like, what do you think happened? What do you think? Because, I I mean, like, I'm pretty disappointed to see the numbers coming out of Toronto. Um, The numbers coming out of Montreal are also disappointing. I haven't looked at what's going on in Vancouver. So while you start to give your answer... I'm going to check that out. <laughs> so we have to start with Quebec, where the NDP walked into this election with 15 seats, and they're walking out of it with only one. Uh, they only managed to save themselves one seat, which was in Rosemont, held by Alexandre Bouloris. That meant that they lost uh, Guy Caron, they lost uh, uh, Pierre-Luc Dussault in Sherbrooke, they lost uh, Ruth Ellen Brousseau in uh, Berthier Masquinoget. And so what does that mean? I mean, there's going to be a lot of people that give their opinion on this in the next couple of days. And I think from my perspective, as someone that has been watching the way the NDP interacts with Quebec since I moved here, which was right after the orange wave in 2012, that the party... The party took the long, the wrong lessons from 2011, and I, I know this because I argued with hundreds of party activists over this question, that there, that the bloc support went right to the NDP because because the province was fiercely anti Stephen Harper. And they were ready to vote for a party that was also anti-Stephen Harper that may have been able to get the kinds of, of, of support outside of Quebec to actually form government. And so that was really behind the shift of the orange wave. Now, the NDP didn't didn't organize in Quebec. They, they, they weren't here. They didn't they didn't have any spokespeople that were that were high profile. They didn't have people comment. I mean, it was. Anyway, I could do a whole episode on how frustrated I've been with the NDP and how they treated Quebec or how they've dealt with Quebec. But a lot of that got forgotten um, because, of course, Bill 21 and the religious symbols issue took center stage because obviously Jugmeat wears a religious symbol. And that was a big problem for a lot of people in this province who support 
the ban on religious symbols in in, in various uh, public uh, positions of authority. And, and, you know, that supports at like fucking 70 percent. So it's a lot of people in the province. Um, and the NDP didn't do the necessary educational work to stop that, um, to, to, to maintain these seats. Now, maybe it would have been impossible for them to maintain these seats. Pierre Nantel, uh, who, who defected from the NDP, went to the Green Party. He also lost his seat tonight. And so um, I think that English Canada, the left in English Canada, does not have a good read on how to interact with the left in Quebec. This is a, a, a long, age-old story. But the, but the collapse of, that, of the party in this province really is related, I think, to organizing and a lack of education and racism. And um, and I really hope that the party learns the right lessons, though my fingers are not crossed because I've seen them not lose <laughs> the right lessons now for two elections. And so for our listeners in Quebec, I mean, what do we need to tell them to do over the next couple of years? Because I hear you saying that education is going to be a really big piece. Um, a lot of anti-racist work seems to need to be done uh, over the next couple of years. Work around um, religious symbols generally obviously needs to be done in Quebec. What else needs to be done in Quebec? It's definitely all of that. And I think that um, that the NDP, and this is obviously the case for everywhere in Canada, the NDP needs to think of itself as a movement party again. It has been far too long that they've forgotten why they exist and the way that they can access people's hearts and minds. And I think that it's been easy for them to forget that in the rest of Canada because movements have been so weak and because they had such success with like flashy centrist campaigns specifically around Jack Layton. And in Quebec, there still are social movements. I mean, there's this, there's a, a nascent... Uh, really left-wing party in this province and there's a lot of political lessons to learn from how they organize which is like very grassroots which is focusing on lots of issues that's not focusing on fundraising and that's actually in communities and learning about what the the issues that people care about I mean it's kind of like you know organizing 101 but on the anti-racism stuff I mean it is so critical that the party is engaged in that struggle across the province it's maybe a tall order because, you know, the party still has no resources. They're the same party that entered this campaign. Um, and I I don't know what kind of um, ability activists will be able to have to engage. But I know, you know, in Quebec City, I have not seen the NDP around these struggles. And, um, and they should be. There are activists here. And so that kind of discussions within the party need to happen. And fuck, ditch the provincial NDP because that's a direct <laughs> confrontation to Quebec's leader and it's like my guys that's a fucking bad idea it was a bad idea you crash and burn like do not resurrect that shit I think that was a really good analysis and I imagine that there's going to be some folks who support the NDP who are listening to our podcast and who may also have another analysis about uh, the type of work that other parties have been doing to eat into their support And maybe that sort of analysis really speaks to you because it it acknowledges that, yeah, there are other forces out there, whether it be liberals saying uh, you have no choice but to vote uh, strategically. And so you can't vote with your heart for Jagmeet. You have to vote for the least of the the, the worst, the least worst of the worst, uh, which is uh, Justin Trudeau or whomever or um, Maybe you'll point to, uh, you know, the the 
the national or post media um, uh, deciding to take a more conservative bend, whatever it is. Uh, and you'll say, maybe you'll think, hey, I hear you saying that the NDP didn't do enough, but I'm more comfortable thinking about this other stuff. I'm going to challenge you to not do that. I'm going to challenge you to like, like, yes, some of those things can affect uh, how this all turned out, but I want to challenge you folks to just to lean into, oh man, I didn't want to say lean in. (laughs) (laughs) I want to challenge you. Don't leave that in Norway. You edit, or maybe you should. I don't care. Whatever. I want to challenge you folks to focus on the stuff that we, we can do. And just to, to know that it's, it's not a bad thing to like, look and say, okay, let's do a postmortem. Where could we do better? Perhaps we should have spent a little bit more time in Quebec. Perhaps we should have spent a little bit more time doing some education work. Perhaps after the leadership debate, instead of folks being really upset who were in different camps other than Jagmeet's, work should have started a little bit earlier. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just think... Hmm, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> maybe, uh, you know, pe- people should have should have rallied around what was possible a little bit earlier and things perhaps would look a little bit different. I don't know. I'm not saying 100%. I'm not part of the party. Y'all know uh, what's going on in there more than I do, but I'm just saying it makes, there is nothing you can do if you just believe that this is all the fault of of stuff that's happening outside uh, of, of your control. So you might as well mm-hmm. just believe that mm-hmm. it's in your control. You might as well, because at the end of the day, the worst case scenario is that you, you work on a bunch of shit that you think is in your control and you improve it and it doesn't work. That's the worst case scenario. <laughs> the best case scenario is you work on a bunch of shit that's in your control, you improve it and it changes what's possible in the next couple of years. And I mean, come on, like look at the last couple of weeks of this campaign. It was so like refreshing and exciting to see someone who seemed a lot more real that spoke to people who were voting for the first time in Generation Z, in um, even, you know, millennials who um, maybe would have shunned voting before, but were kind of interested in what was happening. Like, that's very useful stuff. You have another couple years uh, to build on what was built in the last uh, few weeks. Don't lose that. Don't lose that. Yeah, and and maybe Quebec is not a great example because it feels feels like it was so impossible to win because the work hadn't been done. But in the in the ridings where the work had been done far before this election, mm-hmm. people fucking won. Mm-hmm. Right. And so this has been my biggest frustration with with the NDP. And I and I want to talk about um, the difference between the beginning of the campaign and the end of the campaign and the forces that shaped the change of 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 how different the campaign ended. But, you know, I when the party did not have people nominated at the start, I was like, why in the fuck not? Why did you not have these people in place two years ago? Because if you look at the work that someone like Matthew Green has been doing. Congratulations to Matthew Green. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Or Leah Gazan, who also has won tonight in, in, in Winnipeg Center. Congratulations to Leah Gazan. (laughs) (laughs) These are folks that, 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 obviously organized. I mean, Leah's nomination 
a victory was at a meeting where a thousand people came out. There was a real race and real dis- like a difficult bunch of organizing. And and unfortunately, way too many ridings got far too last minute and there were problems with vetting candidates and all this kind of stuff. And it just like put the brakes on what should have been a party that has momentum. And then this is where I get super cynical because, you know, watching the election in 2015 had the election happen at five at the five week mark. Thomas Mulcair would have actually fucking done very well. Because if you remember, it wasn't until like the seven week mark that the liberals surged and then they surged right into the 11 week mark and the liberals jumped off a cliff or the, the NDP jumped off a cliff. Right. And I, I'm afraid that the party ran this campaign in the same way, except the hype and excitement around Jagmeet Singh launched that strategy into the stratosphere by accident, like not because they planned to do it. And by accident, I mean, there were there were three major forces. One was Jagmeet himself and his performance. The second was the climate strikes. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the third and the third were was was the, the frustration that Canadians had in general with the lies from the, the Liberal Party. And so they were looking for something that was more exciting. And of course, the other two things fed into the, the third factor going off the charts. And, you know, like just that alone, that one factor alone, it should have been, you know, like I I, I think that the Liberals should have lost more seats. I don't know if that's where yep. like I just I feel like that's. A failure of organizing of like everyone else, <laughs> everyone else, not just the NDP, but like literally everybody else. But, you know, they were it was it was there, uh, you know, for everybody else uh, to to pick up um, on their failures. And it's it's really surprising that, uh, you know, they did so well, actually. I don't know. Are you surprised? I'm I'm not surprised because the liberals uh, are a very they have a very powerful brand and they have an extremely sophisticated uh, pulling the vote system. Right. And so at the end of the day, the default of the liberals when they're in a very strong position is that they're going to do well. And the 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 scandals in this election i mean nothing was surprising i like the the blackface stuff was i guess the most surprising and the liberals went fucking ultra on the defensive to make it fine i mean judy fucking scrotum just i mean scro uh re won right <laughs> so um i i'm not totally surprised i mean i'm in a liberal riding in quebec city i'm a bit surprised that duclo won to be honest cuz the block was really close um, but, uh, but, you know, the conservatives lost in the riding next door, which is great. And the block won there. <laughs> so fuck. Should we, should we talk about the popular vote? Well, I think we can't, we cannot leave this little bit of talking without talking about the popular vote. And of course, how that plays into the greens and into electoral reform. Hmm. So, uh, right now at, uh, 9.23 PM on the West coast, uh, twelve, just twelve twenty three p, uh, p, twelve twenty three a.m. Uh, where Nora is. Yeah, you're welcome, uh, every fucking buddy. <laughs> if my kids wake <laughs> me up tonight, I'm gonna be so pissed. <laughs> so pissed. Um, we've got uh the Liberals at uh, the seat projection is one fifty six, popular vote is thirty three percent. A third. Hmm. A third. The conservative 
seat projection is 121 with the popular vote at 34%. Also a third. <laughs> what the fuck? Also a third. A strong, a slightly stronger third. <laughs> the block uh, at 32 uh, with a popular vote of 8%. Yeah, although the we NDP, have to... The, the block you have to generalize across Quebec, and I don't have that. I, I think p- people yeah. understand that that's... <laughs> Use your imagination. You know. Yeah, okay. The other third. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, the NDP at uh, 25 seats projected with 16% of the vote. The Green with three seats projected, which is pretty major for them. Mm-hmm. 6% of the vote. Other Jody Wilson Raybould <laughs> uh, with with one projected seat. That's why I said Jody Wilson Raybould because it's only one. <laughs> uh, which with uh, the Canadian press informs me, point seven six percent of the vote. Um, there's right. no one else worth mentioning. So uh, if you're listening closely, you'll you'll note that the Conservatives have uh, a higher. Um, uh, proportion of the popular vote than the liberals do. The liberals, however, will get the first crack at forming government from the governor, governor general. Uh, and generally, the everything from the center to the left, um, there's more uh, popular support for that um, than than for for conservatives. But what that means is, my goodness, what would have happened if? The Liberal Party had ke- the Liberal Party had kept their promise back in 2015. Wonderful mm. question. I have some numbers. Well, I have one number. Uh, the NDP had they got numbers based on the popular vote, they would actually have more than double the seats that they are reporting to have right now. They would have 54 seats instead of 25. 54 seats. Imagine what that would do. I mean, we've talked previously on this show about uh, the power of a minority government to affect um, significant policy change. Again, if you hadn't heard, haven't heard us talk about this before, it is the reason why we have health care. It's the reason why we have a pension program. And I hope, you know, in the next couple of years, it's going to be the reason why we have a pharmacare program or the reason why we have a child care program. Like, this is really important. But we have to wait um, until we have years like the year that we've just had or an election like the election that we've just had um, for that sort of um, compromise between parties uh, to create the necessary political political conditions uh, for those types of policies to take place. So right now, uh, the NDP has said that to support a liberal government, and it is likely going to be uh, the NDP support that the liberal government is going to need to pass um, any initiatives, um, that what is what they're, you know, what's non-negotiable is a universal pharmacare plan and national dental care plan. Investments in housing, action on money laundering, and attacks on foreign speculators, which um, are driving up the housing markets, in particular in Toronto and Vancouver. Um, 
beginning to tackle student debt so annoyed by that one but we can talk about that <laughs> on another show <laughs> by t- by taking, whoever wrote that <laughs> by taking all interest off student loans current and future oh god we're gonna fucking regret that one current and future did you hear me when i said that current and future <laughs> yeah. it's a significant lack of previous of past (laughs) past. (laughs) a bold plan and concrete action to fight the climate crisis which means ending subsidies to big oil committing to science-based targets and helping workers during the transition from fossil fuels which which is nothing super specific but we'll see what what uh is made of that making cell phone and internet bills more affordable by putting in place a price cap cool um ensuring the super wealthy are paying their fair share by you by uh Introducing a super wealthy, a super wealth tax, a super wealthy tax, a super wealth tax. <laughs> um, so those are the conditions that the NDP has laid out to support uh, the liberals um, in the event that the liberals need their support, which they will. And so I really do hope that that's, um, you know, that we get some of that stuff happening in the next couple of years. But if we did have a system that was not first past the post, this would be par for the course. It wouldn't be something that we had to wait for or that would be weird um, or unusual that happened every time that we remember that there would be a minority government if we didn't just listen to the liberals saying that we had to strategically vote all the time. Totally. I mean, This is the most important lesson to learn from tonight's results. Um, The polls were all right, pretty much, actually. Like, they were putting uh, the liberals and conservatives in a dead heat, and popularly, they are in a dead heat. And the liberals will emerge as the victors, and the NDP and the Greens and Jody Wilson-Raybould and the Bloc, I mean, the Bloc will play an interesting role, um, will have the ability to actually do some very fucking good shit, especially on the environment, because those parties are more or less united on the need to make change, and they can strong arm the liberals into making that change if they are sophisticated enough. And if they can negotiate their way into doing what is right and what is necessary. And I guess that's the segue into talking about how power from the ground needs to be used and targeted to make sure that the parties all do what they said that they will do and what Canadians need them to do. And this is the most important time to do that in a minority government situation. Everyone's on their toes because the election could be coming in the next three months, literally. I mean, it won't, but it could. It could. (laughs) And so given that reality, the parties are going to try to be on their best behavior. So that means if there's any little social movements on the ground that are out there trying to make a party look bad, they're going to do everything they can to try to quiet such a social movement. And let me tell you how the easiest way to quiet a social movement is to just do what they want. (laughs) Yeah, this is an excellent opportunity for organizers on the ground um, to get a lot of necessary things that we need done uh, to support people uh, on the ground uh, done. Like now is the time to really ramp up our our organizing. Um, And, you know, like the next election, which, again, it will happen before four years is up. No, no minority government will let. Um, 
there, there is no case where there will be a minority government that lasts four years. It will fall before four years is up. This is what movements are going to need to push for the things that we really, really want. And also, also crucial to remember in this, this two-year period is all the burgeoning social movements that have been created by young people over the last few years, whether that be um, the movements uh, from the youth who walked out of their high school classrooms to the, to the movements of uh, climate change that have really begun to, to, to blossom over the last couple of years. You know, the, what Nora had said in our previous podcast, just before this one, that the old guard parties are looking at um, the end of the way politics have been, uh, have been going uh, in this country for years. That's true. And in these next couple of years, I think it's really crucial for us as organizers, as people on the ground who really care about um, one another, about creating a just society. It's really crucial that we um, take the opportunity of this next two years and force the sort, sort of social change that we need to see for one another. And everything's really well placed for this, right? Like the, 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 the this is where the NDP needs to really think hard about the 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 way that their campaign took off in the middle of their of the middle of the campaign like Jugmeet is like a favored celebrity type individual he's popular especially among young people and so that is going to help launch that party's power in the public consciousness um, in a way that will actually allow them to negotiate really uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a position of strength with the liberals. But the party also has to for, like not forget that that style and um, and, and the, 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 the leader having like popularity is not good enough uh, on its own, that there has to be a strong base to that. They have to be connected to the grassroots. They have to be connected to social movements. There can't be any missteps on talking about like, oh, uh, you know, the the, the the GNL pipeline's okay, but uh, the Trans-Canada pipeline's bad or any of this kind of stuff. Like they, they have to be very clear. And now is the time to really look at your promises and see what are those things that will make the biggest impact. I mean, if I was working for the NDP, I would say electoral reform and the environment for now and pick a lot of different issues that they can just improve from the for the, for the liberals. And fuck, you you guys got to figure out what your relationship is with the Greens because I mean, I remain super firm in my position that both parties do far more to hurt one another and the left uh separate than they would if they were together. That's we already talked about that, so you can check out that episode from a couple weeks ago. Well, I think that's about it. That's about a wrap on what we're able to say tonight. I mean, well, there's one other thing. Oh, okay. Well, this is yeah. going to be just a real ass episode. We thought it was going to be short, but this is <laughs> this is just a regular ass episode. So go ahead. I'm just I'm just going to throw this at you because I think that we really can't ignore the biggest loser of the election, which was the Canadian media. <laughs> Yes, I like I love that framing. Yes, the biggest loser is the Canadian media. I agree. Oh my god. Okay, tell me where you're headed with this. 
Well, I think that it's important for us to kind of look at the missteps from the press, at how they tried to define certain issues that people were like not having, um, that they defined other issues that were like ill-defined and how they completely ignored so many critical issues and instead talked about shit like Andrew Shear's fucking citizenship or um, I mean, I don't even actually can't even remember all the milk. yeah i mean at least if you're going to talk about milk then you can talk about supply management like explain the system to people and explain why there's so much fucking opposition to it or whatever or why the fuck can't i get cheese anymore that's made in canada like fuck that actually yes Yes. (laughs) like there is a way to talk about these resources in a way that matters to the people who are both producing them and consuming them but that is not how we talked about milk (laughs) in this election at all also maxime bernier the media created uh, the People's Party of Canada in totally, And it's really fucked up that they did that and then spent a bunch of time tonight um, talking about Bernier, uh, giving space to his fucking concession speech. He was a joke. He was always a joke. He was never real. And you all created him. And nothing is more clear about that than the motherfucking results in which he only had one seat that he was possibly going to win and he didn't even get that. Yeah. And in the last couple of days, the biggest scandal that journalists covered, I mean, this was just so indicative of how completely fucked up you people are. (laughs) Sorry. But was this whole uh, scheme about the conservatives hiring uh, shitlord Warren Kinsella Kinsella (laughs) to take down the People's Party. And I don't want to get into that issue because I think it's fucking not worth talking about. But there was a comment made on... Of course it's not. (laughs) It's just like, who the fuck cares besides me and Nora? Zero people. Zero fucking people. (laughs) The Liberal Party. Justin Trudeau and the Liberal Party. That's it. No one else cares. Otherwise, it's just something interesting that Nora and I like talk about um, for literally less than two seconds on Facebook Messenger one day. Yeah. But besides that, nobody cares. No. Nobody cares. And there was this damning tweet that I believe Katie Simpson put out from CBC. She said that 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 they had they had asked the conservatives, they asked Andrew Scheer about this this like nefarious campaign to take down the poor and innocent People's Party of Canada. They asked him 23 times. 20 fucking 3 How many times do you think they asked um, Trudeau about uh, the Saudi weapons program. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> do you think we can find twenty three times over the course of the? I would the be surprised if it hit twenty three, but there's no fucking way it was twenty three times in a morning, right? <laughs> How many times youth suicides in Indigenous communities? How many times do you think? Even fucking boiled water didn't get asked twenty three fucking times. No. No. This is like, mm. (laughs) I'm just pissed. (laughs) Media, like, come on, y'all. Get it together. Like, I I saw an article about what has been happening to Justin Trudeau's hair over the years. And I know, I know it's not all you, media. I know that there's some producer somewhere who is like, assigning it to you the person who had to put their name on that article being like okay this is what you're doing and they're like fuck my whole life i get it (laughs) but this is this is new lows of disaster like there was so much to talk about in this election that was not talked about anything that had to do with migrant rights like i can't believe that that wasn't talked about given 
how Justin Trudeau managed to justify how he was different than Trump and how like all of the support that he got over the years for being um, the type of person who was accepting of different communities and juxtaposing that with his record. What an opportunity for a journalist to expose something like that, um, to make it an issue in this election. You know, there was, um, you know, uh, um, activists who were running in this election who've been doing work on these issues all their lives. And I, I'm just so disappointed in the media for not focusing on the issues that people who uh, live above the 49th parallel desperately uh, need to be focused on uh, in, in an election like this. It's uh, pretty reprehensible. Yeah. And I, I, I want to identify two issues that I am I am I'm honestly scandalized that they did not come up in this election at fucking all. And they kind of relate to what you just said. The first is that this is the first election that was held since a, an act of mass terror happened at a mosque in St. Foy. Mm hmm. And that did not come up at all, at, at all. The, the idea that, that, that six people can be gunned down in a mosque in a Canadian city should have been an election issue. We should have heard way fucking more on gun control, on, on the rise of the far right, and on hatred, and on social isolation and mental health. Like, there were so many issues that were wrapped up into what happened at at the at the at the uh, Islamic Cultural Center in Saint Foy, and it it didn't come up once, not fucking once. And somehow, fucking Warren Kinsella was a bigger a bigger fucking deal than that. And that just makes me disgusted. And so, I mean, fuck everybody that didn't even think that that should have been an issue. Mm -hmm. And the second issue is is what has been the life experience of the Syrian refugees who've come to Canada and who've been settled. Mm -hmm. We've heard nothing about that. And I mean, I'm close. My my to, to my family um, sponsored. I mean, I had nothing to do with it. So it's all like my family's really great sponsored a family. And so I hear some of the stories about what they're experiencing, what their friends are experiencing. And it's and it's not good. Right. We there was that, that whole family that died in a fire in Halifax that was there's been nothing, nothing talking about this, the, this, this, the, the supports that have been given to, to, to not just, of course, Syrian refugees, but refugees in general when they come to Canada through private sponsorship or through public sponsorship that didn't register at fucking all. And considering how much space that journalists have given to like scaring people about like refugees and rising immigrants and oh, my God, and blah, 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 and giving credence to the far right conspiracy theories, but using different language like it is a fucking shame that 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 those issues did not come up at all all at all at all at all and um and that's a failure of the media really and just to add one more um is uh, the issue of all of the um haitian refugees who were detained um after attempting to cross the border in and around uh 2015 2016 um and started to wane um coming into 2017 uh, the fact that that stuff wasn't talked about or discussed uh, in the in the media during this campaign was also a shame, given that was that that given that that was one of the largest uh, detentions um, of people crossing the border in Canadian history. So, you know, like there's all sorts of ways that the media could have covered 
um, all sorts of issues that were uh, should have been top of mind in this election. Um, you know, the abortion, the last abortion clinic closing in um, in uh, New Brunswick as well is one that, you know, did get some some uh, press coverage, but probably not as much as, as the Warren Kinsella nope. debacle, <laughs> right? Like, you know, like there's just so many things that are really affecting uh, people who desperately need some sort of um, policy shift. And it is such a fucking embarrassment. Such a fucking embarrassment. And it's just fucking disrespectful, actually, um, that the media um, you chose to cover the election in the way that it did. And that sort of thing leaves this stuff off the hook. It creates personalities like Maxime Bernier. It creates conditions where the liberals can expect to win again and again and again. And uh, it should not be allowed to continue. Yep. 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 (laughs) (laughs) I mean, so that's it. This is a really long ass episode, actually. (laughs) Yeah. Who knew we had it in us? More more different, (laughs) much different than what we expected. Who knew we had it in us? Um Perhaps this rosé I've been drinking. I don't know. Uh, But here we are. This is what's up. I want to thank everybody who found us during the election because we know that we've got new listeners as a result of the election. I hope that you stick around. I hope that you uh, keep listening and keep giving us feedback as well for what kind of stuff you want to hear about. Because when there's no election, we talk about a lot of different stuff. And um, and if you're a longtime listener and you've been with us since the start, thank you so, 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 so much. <laughs> thank you. And um, I guess we'll return to regular programming, um, you know, next week where we'll talk about, um, I don't know, um, maybe Maxine Bernier starting a new party <laughs> and getting on the national. <laughs> <laughs> uh-oh. Uh-oh. Just regular shit. Regular shit. Regular <laughs> shit.